This is the Unstoppable Authors Podcast with world-building warrior Angeline Trevina, planning and productivity powerhouse Holly Line, and formatting fireball Julia Scott. Every week we bring you discussions on the craft of writing, author life and business, and interviews with some of the industry's most unstoppable authors. A writer's life doesn't have to be solitary. We're here to bust that myth, support you on your journey, and encourage you to be unstoppable. Welcome to episode 180 of the Unstoppable Authors podcast. Today I'll be talking to T.L. Clark about her new release, How to Write a Historical Novel and Love It. But first, a personal update. My shoulder is a lot better, but I think it's time to accept that I'm just getting older and I need to stop hefting heavy boxes of book stock around which is a bit hard when you have lots of heavy boxes of book stock that you need to heft around, but there you go. And I traded at LARPCon at the beginning of the month, which was my first ever two-day event, and I definitely felt it. Luckily, it wasn't a long drive away, and we were very sensible and came straight home on the Saturday and went to bed early. I actually got 10 hours of sleep that night, according to my Fitbit, and I can't remember the last time I slept that long. So we were a lot brighter-eyed and bushier-tailed than most people for day two. I also gave a talk on world building along with Matt Pennington, who is, it turns out, a bit of a celeb in the LARPing world, so our talk was packed with standing room only. But I'm not sure any of that was down to me. Still, it was an amazing event and I actually sold a heck of a lot of books and did really well. So I'm hoping that they'll have me back again next year. Now I'm just head down trying to finish off my next world building guide. I still really want to get it out by the end of this month, at least in ebook, if not paperback. But I am struggling with focus, which seems to be just really up and down at the moment. So we'll just have to see how it goes. So that's me. No new patrons this week, but a huge thank you to all of our current patrons who sponsor the show. We appreciate all of your support so much. Patrons get early access to episodes, exclusive access to our off-air banter, and the warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting the podcast. If you'd like to join in and also support the show, you can do so for just £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And our monthly sessions of Sprints and Giggles, an evening where we do writing sprints, answer questions and have a laugh, are now open to all of our listeners. To get the link to join in, just make sure you're either subscribed to our newsletter or a member of our Facebook group. Let's move on to our interview with T.L. Clark talking about her new book, How to Write a Historical Novel and Love It. T.L. Clark is an award-winning, best-selling British romance author who writes about different kinds of love in the hope that she'll uncover its mysteries. Her loving husband and very spoiled late cat have proven to her that true love really does exist. Writing has shown her that coffee may well be the source of life. Well, I have to agree with that. 
Hi, TL. Thank you so much for joining me today. So first up, can you quickly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Well, hello and thanks for having me. Um, I'm TL Clark. I am an award-winning, best-selling author of love. And my authoring mission is to explore love in its many forms. So you will see me hopping around the romance subgenres like a loved up froggy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I particularly love that you said that just as I took a, a mouthful of coffee. <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So today we are we aren't actually talking about your fiction. We are actually talking about nonfiction and your latest release, How to Write a Historical Novel and Love It. So what draws you to the historical fiction genre? Um, I think Jane made me do it. It's <laughs> <laughs> two Janes. First of all, Jane Eyre is my favourite book of all time. Mm hmm. But then you've also got Jane Austen, the author. Um, and I just love her work. And actually, the first and last scenes of Regency Love were written at Jane Austen House. That is so cool. I know. Oh, my God. It was so awesome. It was a writing course. I was like, yes, going there. Um, and it is. it was my love of that era. But also, even in those books, as brave as they were... I felt like there was a lot left unsaid mm. and I wanted to give people that didn't have a voice at the time that kind of outlet and to explore the realities rather than this perceived world. Yeah. Um, so I once, I'm a big, I'm actually a big fan of historical fiction. Um, I've not ever written it and I'm not sure I dare to, to ever try <laughs> But I am I am a huge fan of of the genre and I read a lot. And I remember seeing this interview with Philippa Gregory once and she said that she does a full year of research before she even writes like the even one word of her book. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is that is like crazy to me. So do you do a whole year of research? How much do you tend to do before or maybe you do it during the writing of a book? And is it possible to do too much research? Well, if I say Love in the Roses took me two years to write because mm. of all the research involved. <laughs> um, but Regency Love, I kind of went into it having not researched first because I foolishly went, oh, I know about the Regency era. I've read all the books. I've read, uh, watched all the films. I know this Regency period. And so I started writing. And then my characters sat down to breakfast. I was like, huh, what do they eat? And it was stupid little <laughs> things like that that you're like, I never thought about that. Mm. And they're not actually referenced in existing material. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I learned a lot doing that. And then for Love in the Roses, I was like, ah, I know the basic questions that I need to know the answers to. So I'm going to research those first. And then that's what I use to create the questions in how to write a historical novel mm. and love it. 
Yep. <laughs> but can you do too much? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> you tend to fall down rabbit holes. It's like you start researching one bit and you kind of disappear into the internet because it's so fascinating, but then leads on to something else and you're like, oh, pretty. <laughs> mm. But I bet there's a lot of research that doesn't end up in the final book. There is, but it's kind of good to know in the back of your head anyway. Um you know, you may not actually ever say what undergarments they were, but, <laughs> you know, when they're getting down and dirty, it's good to know how many layers people <laughs> have to get through. <laughs> yeah, probably. I often think about that because I, I watch a lot of um, historical fiction movies and TV as well. And um, yeah, they tend to be quite spicy. And I always, I always think oh, it must take them so long. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that if they once they start like unbuttoning and unlacing everything, that the romance runs out halfway through that. It must do, you know. <laughs> I'm particularly like in the Victorian era where you've got the proper corsets and stuff, yeah. and layers <laughs> upon layers, and the big crinoline <laughs> petticoats. Uh, it's like an hour later. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless them. <laughs> so what do you think a lot of authors get wrong about historical fiction? Well, to be fair, there's two types of historical romance for a start. There's the actual authentic historical and there's the bodice rippers. And <laughs> you will tell the difference because it's quite clear from the covers, to be fair. Mm. Um, but so many historical novels I read are kind of modern thoughts and behaviours, but in a corset. And right. it just doesn't sit right with me. I like that authenticity, you know, um, sort of modern forms of dating and... Yeah, even the things you say mm. is, yeah, it's not always accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yes, they, they didn't have Tinder. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> so on on that thread, how necessary is it to get the historical stuff absolutely accurate? Is just writing a good story more important than being absolutely correct? Oh, I don't know because <laughs> it depends who your reader is. Mm. For me, when I read, I love the authenticity and I have researched to the nth degree on food and attire and speech patterns and travel. <laughs> Mm. Um, and I love that sort of stuff. Mm. But uh, yeah, yeah, for me, yes, it is important. <laughs> yeah, because I I know historical fiction readers can be quite brutal oh <laughs> in gosh. their in their I reviews. Mean, even then, I have got people that have told me I've been wrong in a couple of areas. I'm like, I know I wasn't because I did the research mm. and maybe your perception's wrong because there is so much in 
particularly historical movies that you see that just isn't true. Mm. <laughs> so there is a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah, because I know um, Bridgerton has been a, a quite a recent one that's yeah. really, really been very, very popular. And there was, it was very split. A lot of people loved what they did with it. Yeah. And a lot of people absolutely hated what they what they did with it. I think the problem with Bridgerton is that it's so very close to being authentic mm. that then the minor inaccuracies become major ones because your brain's like, oh, this is going to be true to life. And then there's something that jars. Yeah. Whereas if it's just all flamboyant, like rain, mm. <laughs> like there's very little that's actual fact in there. Um, but it's okay because yeah. you kind of you're not expecting anything better at that point yeah it's a you know it's a nice bit of escapism i gotta say i'm yeah. a huge bridgeton fan so i do enjoy it i have to say it's <laughs> fun <laughs> it is. but yeah one of the reasons i always say i write fantasy is so that i don't have to do heaps of research into everything because in my worlds i can do whatever i want and no one can tell me i'm wrong <laughs> because <laughs> it's fantasy so what are your top tips for not getting completely overwhelmed by the research or to ease yourself into it well if you buy my book <laughs> <laughs> no honestly i have i've broken it down into nice easy manageable chunks um so uh, there's specific areas that you focus on in your research um and if you keep it to those it kind of streamlines it mm. um because yeah it is it's very easy to kind of just get lost in an era Yes. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I to be to be honest, I have attempted historical fiction and um given up <laughs> because Aww. of the research. <laughs> it does but, take a uh, lot. Yeah. It is it is yes, it's scary. Um and what's something really surprising or funny that you've uncovered in your research before? I'm going to have to probably say knights in one word. Mm -hmm. So I set out to write Love in the Roses about a knight and a knight's daughter. Um, and the original story that came to mind, and I had images in my head of, you know, the jousting knights that you mm -hmm. see in films and this great hero in shining armour. When I started researching Fortune before I began writing, this is why it's important to do some research before <laughs> you put pen to paper, I very quickly discovered they weren't really like that by the 15th century. That a lot of the fighters in wars were actually mercenaries. Mm. Um, and yeah, okay, I've still got a traditionally trained knight in Love in the Roses because there were some. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, they were kind of more like landed gentry by that mm. point. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's kind of sad, isn't it? <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> it's, Which um, is why I still had him trained as a knight. Yeah. I was like, I'm not letting go of that fantasy. <laughs> and I think that that is an interesting thing. This came up recently for me, actually. I um, attended a webinar which was uh, with a somebody who used to be a detective. And the, he was t- talking about how murders are really... <laughs> investigated not like yeah. what we see on tv and uh yeah one one of the myths he was doing a lot of myth busting and one of the myths that quite upset me is uh you know so you're watching a detective show and they have that big whiteboard up up with like the pictures of all the suspects and like lines and, arrows and yeah and it's a myth those yeah. those boards don't exist and I, was, I was so sad <laughs> Have you ever seen a whiteboard in a meeting room? It does not have that writing on very long. There's another meeting that yep. can rub it off, so it just wouldn't happen. Yeah, he, said, he my... said that um, generally um, a team of detectives would be solving several murders at the same time, yeah. so there just wouldn't be space to have this many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, along those lines, one of my biggest disappointments was finding out, you know, the sound silencers make on guns in films mm. was that. Yeah. Yeah, they don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it just deadens the sound a little bit, but not even that much. I was just so disappointed. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's, it's so weird. There's so many things that they put into like TV and movies and even, even fiction. Although yeah. I think, I think fiction is less, more about like oh let's let's just put this in we know it's wrong but let's just put this in um yeah because you have to make it more exciting yeah you know and that's what a tv and a movie audience are expecting but i think i think a lot of the time readers are more looking for authenticity than excitement particularly in historical fiction maybe not in all genres but uh yeah I think I think historical fiction writers have a hard time of it (laughs) oh we do there there is definitely a set of historical readers that read it for that authenticity yeah and yeah they will complain if you get stuff wrong It adds that extra layer of pressure. So it's mm. always scary releasing a book out into the wild yeah. anyway, but knowing that you're going to get extra judged. <laughs> mm. So one thing that I always wonder about is the inclusion of real historical people. So are you allowed to do that? And like, what's the best way to handle it? Yeah, I mean, you said about Philippa Gregory earlier. Ask her. Yes. <laughs> she does. Yeah, uh, Hilary Mantel with Wolf Hall. Um, you can fictionalise historical figures. And even I actually reference some um, in Regency Love. I've got Queen Charlotte makes an appearance in Beau Brummel, but I have used them in a fictitious way. Mm. Um, and it depends what historical fiction you're writing. Um, if you're writing purely about I don't know, like Henry VIII, for example, there's probably facts that you need to stick to and you can dramatise it. Um, but again, people know those historical characters. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely, of course you can use them in a fictitious way. 
Yeah, because they're, um, they're not going to see in my introduction. <laughs> yeah, a, a historical fi- figure isn't going to see you. I know because I I see a lot of um, discussion online about oh, am I allowed to mention brand names in my books? And and gem- generally, it's like you can mention them, but not in a negative way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, definitely that is the case for brand names. How do you mention Henry VIII, but not in a negative way? (laughs) (laughs) There are some figures in history that you cannot (laughs) verbal just be on. (laughs) Yeah. So that's okay. It's very true. Yeah. I would recommend trying to sort of stick to form with historical figures. Yeah, because you've got, um, I mean, obviously there are like, sub-genres that you can drift off into like steampunk for example uses um a lot of historical figures and incredibly fictionalized and then of course you have like um altered history yeah as well where you know you could make henry the eighth vampire if you wanted to (laughs) you know that's not so (laughs) (laughs) far-fetched so yeah, I, it's just, it's something I always wonder about, because obviously you have to be very careful what you say about people who are alive. <laughs> yeah, I people who are still alive definitely don't bring their name into disrepute. People with families still alive also be careful. But, mm. you know, Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn and all that kind of lot, they lived a long time ago. I think yeah. you're safe. <laughs> <laughs> you're all right. <laughs> so coming back to your book how to write a historical novel and love it um this book isn't just a book about writing historical fiction it is also packed full of information on how to actually publish so how has your experience in publishing been and what was an important message that you wanted to convey about the business um i started about 10 years ago and I knew nothing Mm. absolutely nothing about the process and it was such a steep learning curve um and it was really hard and so there are really important lessons I've learned along the way that I wanted to share that knowledge and help other writers kind of be a little bit forearmed Mm. um I think the biggest bit is probably typing the end is only the beginning yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's not the end the end Mm. (laughs) the end of the writing and editing process then you've got to put it out there so you've got to upload the book in how do you do that and what format and then you've got to advertise it Mm. (laughs) who knew right (laughs) (laughs) you've actually got to tell people your book's out there So, yeah, no, there's all sorts of things like that that I've tried to give at least pointers to. Mm. Yeah, because it is is a big, scary thing. And um, I think think most of us started out knowing knowing absolutely nothing. And it's changed so much. Like, the time that I've been publishing is... (laughs) Oh, it's incredible. I mean, even the little images that you put online advertising your book Mm. they're almost like movie posters now yeah Mm. and before it was like a 
white background with like a simple like cartoony image almost <laughs> and some words that was fine plonked out there but now there's all sorts of things that you need to think about even for those mm. um and yeah it changes all the time it's not like oh it's changed and now it's static I publish about a book a year on average mm. and every single time there's something that will have changed somewhere along the line so you know it's a movable feast <laughs> <laughs> definitely um so what is your favorite time period to write in and why it might be quite shocking because there is a lack of potatoes and coffee and I am still traumatised by that. <laughs> but actually writing in medieval England is mm. fascinating. It's such an intriguing time in history. There are so many changes happening all the time. Um, and people's attitudes and like when the printing press came in, that was a massive social change and the changes of monarchy and religion uh, is incredible. There was so much progress made. Mm. So, yeah. But no yeah, coffee. I'm say, yeah. <laughs> I know. Right? Oh, God. I mean, they got up at first light without coffee. <laughs> it's unthinkable. I mean, how? <laughs> Heathens. Just, they're not even human at that point. <laughs> Crazy. Um, do you know off the top of your head, because I don't, when coffee came to the UK? Um, it was just after my time period. I think in the 15th century, don't quote me that, 15th or 16th. <laughs> um, because I know that 1485, when my Love in the Roses is set, if you're over in Turkey... A woman could divorce her husband for not providing enough coffee. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. But at the same time, England didn't have it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I've got the Turkish hogged it. <laughs> well, thank goodness we have it now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, lastly, can you let our listeners know where they can find you and your books online? Um, I'm most commonly found on Instagram, but I'm all over the place. Um, how to write a historical novel and love it is actually on all good retailers. So Kindle and Kobo and all the e-reading platforms you can buy it on. Um, you can go to Waterstones online, buy paperbacks, yeah, Barnes & Noble if you're American. Yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> now we ask all of our guests a would you rather question so would you rather spend one week in a time period of your choice but you're poor or spend just one day there but you're rich oh <laughs> Now, mm, probably the rich option, because I'm not sure I'd survive a whole week being poor in any time. <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard. Like, yeah. 
disease and famine would probably get you and I'd be hungry. I'm not good when I'm hungry. Nobody <laughs> needs that negativity in their life. <laughs> and yeah, if you're rich, you get to wear amazing clothes. Yeah, the pretty clothes and the nicer food. Yeah. Mm. Sorry. It sounds shallow. It's not. It's a <laughs> hanger issue. <laughs> I can appreciate that. But what what time period would you choose for your one day? Oh, if I was rich, I'd probably say Regency and then I could go to a ball and just dance <laughs> and have fun. And, and be, you'd be like Cinderella, wouldn't you? Poof at midnight. Oh my God, so much. <laughs> yeah. That sounds fun, right? <laughs> Although yeah. that is getting into shallow territory. Come on, who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> uh, it's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> right, brilliant. Thank you very much for coming and talking about historical fiction with me. Thank you for having me. Remember that if you want to join us for sprints and giggles, then make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter. And to get all of the additional benefits of supporting the show, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And don't forget to share the podcast online and tag us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for unstoppable authors. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unstoppable Authors Podcast. We'll be back next week with more of our tenacity and worldly wisdom. Don't forget to visit our website to get the show notes and heaps of helpful blog articles at unstoppableauthors.com. And join our guild of unstoppable authors and you will not only hear from us every week, but you will also get a free digital copy of my book, 30 Days of World Building. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to subscribe and leave a review.